I want to talk to you this morning uh, about fairness. <laughs> um, I grew up in a family uh, of seven. There are the five um, kids in my family, and there's the, the two adults, uh, my, both my parents. Um, we had there were four uh, boys um, and one sister in my family, and fairness was a big deal. You had to be fair. I mean, that was kind of the uh, unspoken rule. Everything had to be fair. If, if one of us got more ice cream for dessert, a little bit more ice cream for dessert than anyone else, then, I mean, the screams and complaints would, would, would all of a sudden be raised. Um, if uh, I got, okay, I mean, if, if one other uh, person in the family, you know, end up getting a, a longer list of jobs, chores on Saturday morning than the others, um, I mean, there was a wailing and gnashing of teeth. I mean, everything had to be fair, right? Um, evenly split up. In fact, we had this one um, unwritten rule in my family, and I don't know, maybe it was this way in, in, in your family as well. Um, that if there was a piece of cake, one piece of cake or one piece of pie or uh, 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 one piece of pizza left, and there are three people that wanted it, um, that it had to be divided, and it had to be divided evenly, and whoever was the one who cut it or, or divided that piece of pie, they were automatically the last one to get to choose uh, which piece they got out of those uh, options. Uh, so in other words, the pressure was on whoever was cutting the, the piece of pie or cake or whatever uh, because they wanted to divide it evenly so they got an even share. Um, being fair was a big deal in my, my family. So you can imagine how I have uh, struggled through the years the parable that Jesus told out of Matthew chapter 20. Verses 1 through 16. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. uh, Verses 1 through 16. Because here, what we find is a story that is uh, titled in my uh, Bible, anyway, Laborers in the Vineyard. It's a story about vineyard workers. And what strikes us about this story when you read it is (laughs) it's... Patent unfairness. Imagine yourself in this story, okay? You show up a bright early morning dressed for work. You know, your lunch pail is in your hand. You're thrilled when the owner um, of the vineyard comes by in his flatbed pickup and hires you without so much as an interview, without uh, looking at your resume, without even asking for a list of records. I mean, he promises a generous wage to boot. I mean, a whole denarius. (laughs) Amazing. You already start thinking about the bills that you can pay with that money and the the meals that you can provide and the, the clothes that you can buy with that money for your family. I mean, you needed this job. I mean, the first hour, as you're out in that field, the first hour just flies by. Um... You know, the day is still cool, and even as the sun begins to come up, uh, um, I mean, what a jewel of a day it's going to be. You know, even as the sun begins to come up, it's it's low enough so you can still um, hide in behind the, the shadows from the vines. 
And the other workers that you're working with, I mean, they're a great bunch. Um, you feel an instant connection with the other workers with whom you're, you're out there picking in those fields, working in the fields next to. Then a few hours later, a fresh batch of workers <laughs> all of a sudden show up. Now, to be honest, you're glad to see them. I mean, there's a lot of work to do. And even though they don't quite know how to do the job as quickly or as efficiently as you do, well, you know, they're, they're quick to learn. It's not long before it's like they've always been there, you know, from the very, very beginning with you. And then a few hours later, and a few hours later even after that, um, more workers show up. And it feels different this time. Um, I mean, you, you do feel a sense, a, a little bit of sense of relief. I mean, more help has arrived. But you also feel a touch of, can I say, uh, <laughs> resentment. I mean, they, I mean, they just don't do the work right. Um, they, they don't understand the culture here. Um, they're too eager and, and you're so blasted hot and, and, and sore and tired and, and they're over there, you know, just trying to chirping away, no dirt underneath their fingernails, not even one bead of sweat on their brow. <laughs> but what kills you is the crew who show up 11 hours into that 12-hour work shift. I mean, the day's already cooling again. I mean, the sun is already beginning to go down. The heavy lifting has, I mean, that's already been done. They work just a single hour. I mean, if you could call it work. I mean, I mean, you could do single-handedly in 10 minutes what three of them could barely do in that one hour of work. You're, you're so disgusted that you, you never even attempt to talk to any of them. Then an amazing thing happens. It's pay time. <laughs> uh, the foreman calls up the guys who just showed up last to collect um, their money, their pay first. Um, I mean, that's galling uh, until you see what they're being paid. A denarius. A full day's wage for an hour worth of work. <laughs> I mean, in your mind, it starts rolling around. You start doing the math, right? A denarius per uh, hour times 12 hours equals, ah, man. I mean, you're about to call your wife on your cell phone and tell her to get on the Google and make that trip to Paris and uh, get on Amazon and go ahead and buy some extra luggage that you need. Um, and all of a sudden, you, disturb, you notice a, a disturbing trend. The guys who showed up three hours ago, they get a denarius. And the guys who showed up six hours ago, they also get a denarius. And when the foreman finally calls you up uh, last, although you were there first, and he puts a, in your hand a, a, a denarius, I mean, you can hardly hold yourself back from spitting on it. How unfair. How completely unchristian. What do you think? Huh. You know, th this week, uh, as I once again took a 
a look at this story of Jesus. Um, I discovered it's a troubling parable, isn't it? And I realized that as I took a look at it, that there's two vantage points as you can um, take a look at when you read this story. And whichever vantage point, whichever perspective that you take, it makes a world of difference. It changes the whole meaning, the whole lesson of this story. The first vantage point you can take is that of the first workers, the hard workers that came first in the morning, right? And I want you to notice here that this, this parable's focus is really on those workers who were hired early in the morning. I mean, those workers um, that were hired at 9 uh, o'clock in the morning or 12 noon or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I mean, really, they, they, get, they don't get really much attention in this story. No, it's the, it's the first workers that get uh, paid the last. It's the first workers that grumble the most. It's the first workers whom the boss responds to, and it's from their vantage point that this story is kind of told, isn't it? And it's their vantage point, I gotta be honest with you, that most of us wanna take. Admit it, like me, when you read this parable, you rarely read it as good news, right? I mean, in our world, those that work the hardest and the, the longest and the best, I mean, they should get more. I mean, when I get in line at Target, um, it, would, it would deeply offend me, to be honest with you, if the store manager suddenly came out and said, okay, all you people at the end of the line, you're next, and you at the front of the line, you got to go to the back. <laughs> uh, I mean, if that happened, I, I don't think I'd go to that Target again, uh, right? Um, I mean, I'd take my business elsewhere because, I mean, face it, that store is not treating me fairly. I mean, the longer that I've been there, the more that I have contributed, uh, the more I expect, right? If you pay me, uh, if you pay a man a denarius, you owe me 12, at least 12, because, listen, I've earned it. I'm owed it. <laughs> I mean, think about, the, how, uh, take, think about how this story would play out in our economy. And, and our business world. Think about your union. <laughs> I mean, unions would be up in arms, wouldn't they, if an employer acted like this boss? I mean, you've worked your job for 30 years. The next hire is straight out of college. The boss asks you to move out of your office to make room for this new college graduate. And he announces that the novice here is getting paid exactly what you're getting paid. <laughs> he gets perks and holidays off that it took you 30 years to accumulate. And, and he gets a signing bonus to boot. I mean, what are you supposed to do, cheer about this? <laughs> you're waiting in the doctor's office, right? And you've been there quite a while now, waiting for an appointment that you, you booked two weeks ago. The, doctors come, the doctor comes out and says, hey, whoever just walked in here uh, with no appointment, you come on in. I'll see you next. <laughs> I mean, what are you supposed to do to that? <laughs> Cry out, hip, hip, hooray! No. Last thing you want to do. See, 
from this worker who was hired early in the morning from his vantage point. I mean, (laughs) this is completely unfair. And this is how our world sees it, right? I mean, that's how our world operates. I've been here longer. I've contributed more. I have worked harder. I have become more successful. Therefore, I deserve more. I have earned it. After all, I'm owed it, right? And owners, bosses, they get that. Usually. (laughs) But not this boss. And it's bothersome, troublesome. Why? Why why does this owner seem to be so out of touch with how the real world is supposed to work? Why does he seem so unfair? Well, (laughs) I got to tell you, it's because Jesus is not talking here about how the world operates. He's talking about how the kingdom of God operates. Look with me. Verse 1. Chapter 20, verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven, catch that? The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers. Um, This parable is about the kingdom of heaven. It's about the kingdom of God. Jesus, as he he tends to do in his parables, what he does is he, he looks out and he uses things that are happening in his everyday first century world to make his point. And his point is, that the kingdom of God operates differently than in our world. Notice what happens right before Jesus tells the parable. I want you to see this. Um, Look at the context of this this parable that Jesus tells us. Um, Before this, look back in chapter 19. You can look back and starting in verse 16. Jesus tells, this is a story about this conversation that Jesus has with this young, uh, rich man who has come to Jesus and is asking Jesus um, what he must do in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Um, And in Jesus' day, we have to remember this, and not unlike ours, by the way, it was commonplace that those who were rich, um, those who had money, those who were successful, that success, that money, those riches were were a sign of God's favor in their life. But Jesus here in that story with this young rich man, he he turns a table on that man and he tells his disciples, listen, it's nearly impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. This, of course, shocks these disciples. And so they ask, well, Jesus, what about us? I mean, if, if, if rich men, if successful men, if, if, if people who were at the top of their game, if they can't get in to the kingdom of God, I mean, what chances do we have, poor fishermen, tax collectors? What chance do people like us have? On what principle, they're asking, does God work? Well, Jesus tells us at the very end of Matthew chapter 19. I want you to see this. He finishes chapter 19 with this. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. 
And I want you to see how this connects to the parable that Jesus says, because right at the end of the parable in verse 16, chapter 20, verse 16, Jesus repeats that same little phrase. So the last will be first and the first last. So what does it mean? What does Jesus mean when when he says that? Well, to answer that question, what Jesus does is he gives us this parable. A parable not about workers, but a parable about a landowner, God. So we need to look at this story from the vantage point of the landowner. How does God receive people into his kingdom? Why don't you first notice that God, why don't you notice this? God really cares about the down and outers. Do you see this? Instead of, you know, sending um, a servant to the job center, um, this landowner, he comes personally. He comes himself. Five times, in fact, he goes to the marketplace. Time after time after time after time, this landowner, he, he comes and he sees these people that are standing around with nothing to do. And what does he do? He doesn't berate them. No, he hires them. These people who are hungry and unemployed, and as the day wears on, I'm guessing increasingly hopeless. And this landowner, he, he cares about them. He, he, he wants to help them out. So he gives them a job and a reward. God really cares about the down and outers. I want you a second notice that God is fair to everyone. In fact, look with me. Um, chapter 20, verse 11. And on receiving it, this is the first workers, the, er, the workers that came early in the morning, okay? And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last, they worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he, this is the landowner, he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me uh, for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. (laughs) To the complaints of these first workers, the landowner starts, I want you to notice this, uh, starts by calling them friend. Um, that, that, that word of, of, of what you would typically be a term of endearment, friend, in, in, in Matthew, whenever Jesus uses the word friend, it's a dead giveaway that the person who is called friend has been wrong. Um, for example, two of the times uh, Jesus um, uses this title in Matthew's gospel, and each instance, um, it, it's used in a negative way. Um, in Matthew 22, verse 12, Jesus uses it for a man who was not wearing wedding clothes but still wanted to come to the wedding. <laughs> and you probably remember the, the better example. Uh, Jesus used it when he addresses Judas. Remember that? When Judas was about ready to betray him with that kiss, he called him friend. So here, once again, Jesus uses this title. And he says, friend. I'm not treating you unfairly. No, I I can show you our our agreement that you signed this morning. Here's a contract right here. What was it for? One denarius, right? Yes, I thought so. It's a very good day's wage. So take what belongs to you and, and, and go, he tells him. See, far from being unfair, this 
employer totally honors his contract. Just because he has chosen to give those latecomers uh, what he gave to them doesn't make him unfair. On the contrary, or does it? it? It makes him generous, doesn't it? And that's the most important thing I think we need to notice from this vantage point. God is more than generous. Look at the landowner's last comment to these embittered employees. Verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? <laughs> there are two Greek words here um, that we need to do a little bit of a deep dive on. Um, the one is translated generous in verse 15. And um, the Greek word is agathos. Um, the, there's a single instant... There, this is the single instance um, in all of Scripture where agathos is translated generous. Almost every other occurrence of this word in the New Testament translates this word as good. And it means inherently good. Good in and of itself. Uh, goodness that does not um, ebb and flow with the circumstances or, or, or mood or worthiness of others. But good by nature, agathos is, is goodness inherent in the character of, of its possessor and independent of the actions of, of other people. The owner here is agathos. He's good, regardless of whether you've earned it or not. The other Greek word here that we need to do this deep dive on is translated here in the ESV as begrudge. Do you see that? Or do you begrudge my generosity? In the NIV, it's translated envious. Um, are you envious because I'm generous? Um, that word is a tricky compound word in, in, literally, and it literally means the evil eye. <laughs> Um, this landowner, in other words, asked these envious workers, are you giving me the evil eye because I'm generous? Because I'm good? Now, another time that this compound word occurs is earlier in Matthew's um, gospel. In fact, it's in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23, where Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? <laughs> See, God is good. But if your eyes are bad, you'll miss the owner's generosity. It will embitter you rather than bring you joy. You'll see it as stinginess, not what it is truly, a goodness independent of what you've earned. This is a radically owner-centered story. It's a story not about us, the work that we do, <laughs> but it's about the owner and his rights and his nature. God is never less than fair. Instead, he is more than generous. What's the kingdom of God like? The kingdom is about generosity on a scale and of a kind that the world has never seen and can't really understand, can't comprehend. See, the world's generosity is always about earning. 
It's always tied to a, a, a bonus system. Lurking behind all kinds of, of worldly generosity, the idea that I actually have this coming to me, you know? I mean, you, you tip the waiter big because that waiter bent over backwards to serve you and serve you well. You give a little more commission to the realtor who delayed his personal holiday to make sure that the deal closed on time. I put an extra effort on a project, and so therefore, I expect to reap more of the profits. But in contrast, in contrast, kingdom generosity is the real deal. It doesn't work on a bonus system at all. It's not granted in response to some goodness in the recipient. No, it's not a reward. Length of service, long hours of of toil in the heat of the day have no claim on God. The poor disciples, the fishermen, tax collectors as they are, they are as welcomed by God along with the great heroes of the faith, Abraham and Moses and David. See, there are no rankings in the kingdom of God. There's no place for personal pride, for contempt or, or, or jealousy or an evil eye. <laughs> There's no grounds for anyone to question how this generous God handles the utterly undeserving. The kingdom of God has a generous owner, deeply good to you, to you, to you. Not because you've earned it. It's not about you, it's about him. Henry Nouwen was a priest and a brilliant teacher at places like Harvard and and Yale. Feeling led by God, he spent the last decade of his life living in a community of people with severe emotional and mental and physical disabilities. It was an enormously healing time for him. In one of his many books, Henry um, tells a story about a Trevor, a man with severe and emotional challenges who was sent by Henry's community to a psychiatric facility for evaluation. Henry wanted to see him, so he called the hospital to arrange a visit. And when those in authority found out that Henry Nowen, <laughs> Henry Nowen, really? And he was coming. They asked if, well, if they could have a lunch with him in the golden room a special meeting room at the facility. They would also like to invite other doctors and and, and clergy to that special luncheon. Henry Nowen agreed. When Henry arrived, they took him to the golden room, but Trevor was nowhere to be seen. Troubled, Henry asked about Trevor's whereabouts. Well, I I hate to tell you this, but Trevor can't come to lunch See, patients and staff are not allowed to lunch together. Plus, no patient has ever had a lunch in the golden room. By nature, Henry, (laughs) he wasn't a confrontational person. He was a meek man, but being guided by the Holy Spirit, here's the thought that came to Henry and to his mind was, include Trevor. Knowing that community is about inclusion, Henry thought, Trevor ought to be here. So Henry turned to the person in authority and and said to him, 
But the whole purpose of my coming was to have lunch with Trevor. If Trevor is not allowed to attend the lunch, I will not attend either. The thought of this man missing the opportunity for lunch with Henry Nowen, I mean, that was just too much. So they soon found a way for Trevor to be able to attend. When they all gathered uh, together, you know, something interesting happened as they were eating their lunch. At one point during that lunch, Henry was talking to a person on his right and didn't notice that Trevor had stood up and lifted up his glass of Coca-Cola. A toast, he said. I will now offer a toast, Trevor said. Everybody in the room, (laughs) they got real nervous. What was Trevor going to do? What was he going to say? Then Trevor, this deeply challenged man in a room full of PhDs, started saying, if you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. If you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. (laughs) Nobody was sure what to do. It was awkward. Here was this man with a level of challenge and brokenness that they could not begin to understand, and yet here he was, beaming. He was thrilled to be there. So they started singing, softly at first, and then louder and louder, until doctors and clergymen and Henry Nowen were all practically shouting together, if you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. (laughs) Henry did go on and give his talk at that luncheon, but the moment that everybody remembered, the moment God spoke most clearly, was through the person they would have said was the least likely to speak for God. Friends, the last will be first, and the first will be last. That's how God's kingdom operates. It has taken me a while, I have to admit it, to finally realize that this story that Jesus tells here It's not about fairness. (laughs) It's about the kingdom of God. A God who is never less than fair, but a God who is more than generous. Listen, your standing in the kingdom of God does not depend upon human effort. Does not depend on any merit that you might churn up in any way whatsoever. It depends upon the sheer unmerited favor of the only one who is ultimately good and accepts those who could never be good. We're going to be taking communion here and this sermon just fits so squarely into what we celebrate as we take the cup and, and the bread We are all, all of us, those who have been working in the hot sun all day long, you know, and are worn out and tired, and those who are recent arrivals, those amongst us who are PhDs, (laughs) and those who don't have those degrees, all of us stand on equal ground at the foot of the cross before our perfect and good God. What a wonderful truth. Our salvation rests 
not in anything that any of us could have ever done or accomplished, but rest completely in Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross for each one of us. Let us celebrate his love for us this morning.